Once you realize that some people are out there having a quite healthy and lovely time non-monogamously, all of a sudden your imagination has expanded. That's Dr. Jolie Hamilton, a psychologist, author, and sex educator who specializes in helping couples navigate the bumpy road of non-monogamy. She also happens to be in a consensually non-monogamous relationship herself. That's right, folks. It's our Valentine's Day episode, and true to form, we're challenging some expectations. Today, it's that age-old ideal, the glorified and pretty rigid notion of the couple. The kind of marriages that we're used to thinking of as traditional, that is like 150, 175 years old. This idea that we marry and we get our best friend and our help meet and all of the things all in one. No, that is a very, very narrow frame. On this episode, Jolie gives us the 101 on non-monogamy, polyamory, and all the relationship concepts we need to know. She shares her own messy monogamy breakout and explains how she takes couples through a year-long process to help them navigate their open relationships in healthy and empowering ways. What is it that you want out of dating? What is it that you want out of sex? Whatever you're currently looking for, let's get into the questions because in my world, all of that should be custom designed for you. Welcome to The Breakout, a show about smashing through life's little boxes and forging your own path. I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. And I'm Kelly Gunther. Carrie and I are people and change experts and best friends. We've spent more than 25 years helping organizations navigate change and get the best out of their people. Come on, we know change is hard, but staying the same can even be harder. On The Breakout, we prove that you can escape expectations, and best of all, we show you how. All right, Jolie, what did you break out of, and what do you help others break out of? I am widely known as the coach for couples who color outside the lines, which sounds all quirky and adorable. I help people break out of the monogamous paradigm into a paradigm of relational multiplicity, whatever that means for them. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to wind up polyamorous or in an open relationship, but busting open those monolithic relationship structures. That's me in a really tight nutshell. I love that. And especially we're so excited to have you on for Valentine's Day because we want to talk about pushing back on those traditional relationship expectations. So I got to ask you, what do you think about Valentine's Day? I think it's really messy if you have multiple partners in one night, you're supposed to celebrate them all. So Valentine's Day can be tricky, but it can also be fun. Let's be real. I like any day where I get to put hearts all over everything. (laughs) And there's chocolate. This is what people are missing. It's a day where you could just eat as much chocolate and it's, I think it's free calories. Oh yeah. I'm going to eat all the Vosges that gets put in front of me that day, all of it. (gasps) Nice, nice. What's one of your favorite Valentine's Day memories? Do you have one or a a gift or anything? Yeah, you know, Valentine's Day is a kind of funky day in our household because my nesting partner, my anchor partner, his birthday's the next day. So it's a weird time. But my favorite memory from Valentine's Day was the first time it actually got celebrated 
for me. It's just such a sweet little adorable memory. I'm like 16 years old. And the first time somebody ever celebrated it was actually my first husband who I got engaged to when I was 17. Oh my gosh. And he brought me a teddy bear. And like, it's just such a wholesome, sweet memory that honestly, all the other things that have happened later, I'm like, yeah, I think that's the heart of it. Like just being seen. It was very sweet. I have have other much randier orgy memories, but (laughs) those are different. Those are different. You're the best already. I love this interview already. All right. Give us a, a quick then rundown on how you help your clients push back on the traditional relationship expectations. And I'm putting in a bonus question of just even the wording you used. I've never heard a nesting partner anchor, like just is all just brand new words. I'm so excited. So tell us about how you help people push back on those traditional expectations. Well, let's start off with remembering that those traditional expectations are not very old, right? Like the idea Mm. that this particular brand of monogamous marriage is like the way, the kind of marriages that we're used to thinking of as traditional, that is like 150, 175 years old. This idea that we marry and we get our best friend and our help meet and all of the things all in one. No, that is a very, very narrow frame really. So my primary move is to help people just enter into the questioning of what is it that you want out of partnership? And that might mean, I mean, I do happen to be married. I picked a person and I signed on the dotted line. But the arrangements and agreements and expectations that we have, every single one of those is customized to our partnership. And so I use the term nesting partner and anchor partner to more accurately describe what goes on between us. Because if I just tell you I'm married, you're going to make a bunch of assumptions that do not include the fact that I was on a date two nights ago and had a really nice time with someone who I am not married to, right? You're going to make those assumptions. Nesting partner mm-hmm. tells you that I live with this person. I share a household with them. Mm-hmm. Anchor partner for me says this person, I've made a commitment to engaging with them, even if we dissolve our romantic relationship. I decided oh. that we could do that. He decided that we could do that. And so that's our arrangement. It's a little messy, but it's also awesome. <laughs> but it doesn't really seem that messy if you have those conversations. And when you said customize it, isn't that the era we're in anyway, which is all about customization? Right. Everyone has kind of the same phone, but you customize your apps. And so it sounds like you've done so much more in the clients you help. They talk so much more than a traditional relationship that just blindly accepts it's a marriage and this is what it is. And you're really having these very, I would assume, difficult conversations sometimes and figuring out those boundaries. Yeah. You know, sometimes the conversations are difficult, but I think often the the toughest moment is the one where you introduce the idea that you might want something other than implicit expectations set by a bunch of they's out there in the world. And instead you want to enter into an ongoing conversation about what do we actually want to do? How do we actually want to meet our needs and wants and desires? And all these rules that have been taught to us, they were not bargained for collectively. Like we did not actually agree to them. But when the assumption is made based on, yeah, we got married or now we're in a long-term relationship. Once we head down that path, I find people start setting their expectations, their implicit expectations, 
eh, week three to month three, wow. somewhere in there, right? We start just saying, this is how this relationship works. And then often we never revisit. So what if instead we decide to be in relationship where we actively expect there to be an ongoing negotiation and revisiting of things? It's a really beautiful way to live. But for some people, it is a little scary because some people seek a sense of safety through never having to talk about anything. So that might mm -hmm. not be the right fit for them, but everybody else, and I think this is actually the lion's share of humans, everybody who wants to be able to learn and grow and change and potentially renegotiate with partners over decades, yeah, let's get into the messy conversations. Yeah. And I can see what you're saying. It's that first question that is probably the hardest because you're like, oh God, what are they going to do? And then after that, you can shed all the rules because you're right, we weren't in on making all those rules. Can you go through some of the words that you're using? So ethical, non-monogamy, creative monogamy. Ground us on some of those words and the concepts. Yeah, I'm going to give you a few. So I have a, a podcast called Playing With Fire. Episode 89 is like a 90-minute episode devoted to going through all the language. Wow. So just so people know. Okay. There's a lot of language out there. The key is when you hear somebody using a relationship term you don't know, ask them what it means for them because there is no such thing as some outside arbiter of what these terms mean. But I can give you some basics. And the first thing I want to say is non-monogamy, I really don't like to put the word ethical in front of it because that mm. actually introduces the idea that somehow monogamy is automatically ethical and I need to codify my non-monogamy. That seems a little strange to me and tends to put us in this defensive position. And I don't think we need that because non-monogamy has been practiced throughout human history. And there are ways to do that in a way that like is disclosed and consensual. And there are ways to do that that are not disclosed and are not consensual. So let's step out and say non-monogamy, disclosed, or consensual non-monogamy. That's an umbrella term to describe all the different ways somebody might be practicing a non-exclusive version of relating. And then we have words like polyamory that are used a little bit more specifically. Polyamory is this frisky conglomeration of poly and amory, right? So Latin and Greek getting together, kind of odd, um, meaning many loves, right? So ten, it tends to be used by people who are actively encouraging partnership, emotional connection, the potential at least for love. Whereas somebody who maybe uses the phrase open relationship or just non-monogamy, they might be open to potentially sexual connection or sensual connection, but maybe they want to draw some lines around emotions. I think that the terminology that you choose will have a lot to do with what you're hoping to move toward and what's currently being used in your geographical area. And usually anybody who's been in this for at least a few months understands that it's their role now to describe how they live their relationship structures. For me, what stood out was her just asking the question and saying like, why do we have this expectation? And the history of it, it when you ask more questions about the history of it, you realize, oh, that's interesting. It hasn't been around for 500 years. It's relatively new. And how did it develop? And really taking on one of the giant expectations that people have. You get married to one person and you're faithful 
and that's your best friend for the rest of your life. It is such a path that is a very worn path that people are expected. I think for me, it just is how absolutely important and pivotal and critical it is to be self-aware and know what you want and how to articulate it. Yes, communication is important, but if I'm not feeling comfortable sharing what I want, how I feel, it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It takes a pretty evolved person, I think, to be able to be so grounded and so confident in what you're looking for. It's an incredible amount of work that she's done to not only understand herself, but to help others create this transformational life for themselves. you talk about your early relationships influenced the career and the life that you took. Can you tell us about what influenced you to get into this line of work? Yeah. I mean, I literally made every mistake possible, both entering into my monogamous grown-up. We're going to say grown-up with big air quotes because I was 17 when I got engaged. I'm not, I did not have a prefrontal cortex that was appropriately developed for that, but you know, there I went anyways. Um, we didn't do marriage great, but we were together for 17 years and I would have crushes on people all the time. I was bisexual and my husband knew that. And I have crushes on girls all the time and I didn't act on them. I followed the rules and I was uncomfortable a lot of my life. And then somebody introduced me to the concept of polyamory and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I mean, I can't, okay, okay, interesting. And then I had my next crush after learning the word. Once you realize that some people are out there having a quite healthy and lovely time non-monogamously, all of a sudden your imagination has expanded. And my imagination expanded and I turned and looked at this person who'd been in my life my whole life. And I was like, Ooh, I have, I have big feelings for them. Huh? I told my first husband, I hopped in the shower at like two o'clock in the morning and told him, Oh my God, I have another crush. It didn't go well. It didn't go well at all this time. This was a very normal experience for us with one difference. This person had a penis. This person I had a crush on was not a girl. And I naively thought, that it would be the same because I'm bi. And I was like, I don't, what's the difference? I don't know. Right. They're unfurled now the next 15 years of my life, which has been figuring out how to unpack the monogamous, not just the conditioning, but my own imagination of what is correct, my own expectations of how I could ever be loved and how multiplicity within me could really be met in this other relationship paradigm. I took the particular path of getting a handful of psychology degrees and Mm -hmm. following that path. That's how I went through it. And then um, I started teaching people all of my own mistakes and developing tools for like, hey, what if we did this in a way that was thoughtful and conscious and gave you time to adjust and allow your imagination to expand? Because I run a program called The Year of Opening, and it's about opening up you, opening up to what if monogamy isn't the only way? What if I just get into the questions? And some people question it all and find out that they actually love their exclusivity. They love being partnered in a particular way that has these boundaries and creates a bubble. But a lot of people find out that they actually want areas of expansivity and it's up to them. So we just get into this process and I teach them through my own disaster. I teach them 
how to be reflective and be in a conversation that occurs over a long period of time. So I put people into a year of opening process. That's the minimum amount of time I will work with people because it really is about expanding you and you need time. You need to let your psyche catch up. Yeah. How lovely that you take a year too, because it's not what if and it's two weeks and figure it out. Everybody's different. Some people are just, they're like super coming from that monogamous imagination. And they're like, okay, we're going to, we're going to step out one toe at a time. Let's just dabble. And other people are like, nope, we're jumping. Help us. And I actually love that energy because that's real. That's what you're actually going to meet out there. And that is what, if you really turned to your friends and had honest conversations, we know the stats tell us 20% of people have practiced non-monogamy at some point in their life. And that's in the, in North America, like, you know, people who have done this. So if we actually had these conversations amongst our friends and we didn't shame each other for exploring, we would have a different way of approaching this. And it might not be so scary, but a lot of times we accidentally shame people for not following the the script, for not just sticking with monogamy. Yeah. Or we blame anything they do that's beyond the monogamous norm. We blame that for any relationship troubles they have. But I don't know. Monogamy, it's great for some people, but it's not like it promises us a perfect Disney happily ever after. It just doesn't. You know, when we're talking about non-monogamy, so many of us imagine that we're always talking about a couple who's trying to open up. And I do work with a lot of people who are coming from that position. It is not the only position. What if you're single right now? Or what if you're coupled and you're like, I think I'm done with prioritizing someone else as my person. What if I'm my person? So the other perspective we could look at this from, and one that is so valuable, is the solo polyamorous position. Someone who partners primarily with themselves and stays close to that idea, even while they connect with others for romance, for sex, for deep, intimate friendship, all of that. And they build their life intentionally exploring that in a consensual way. So that is another whole perspective. If that sounds like you, you might be able to eschew the whole current dating melu by exploring that concept right there. We'll get back to the interview after this quick break. The breakout comes to you from Abrachi Group. We offer coaching and consulting to help you dig into change. Here's what we know. Only about 10% of us are really self-aware. Without self-awareness, improvement is tough because if you don't know what box you're in, you can't break out of it. That's where we come in. We've got a soft spot for people itching to forge a fresh path, the high flyers who need to be nudged out of career ruts, teams who are looking to become more aligned, and yes, even those bold souls who've occasionally worn the jerk badge. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. When you discovered there's these alternate relationships, how did you approach your own experimentation? What were some of the challenges that you that you faced? I did things I would never, never suggest anyone do. So I moved into a triad situation in my home within four months of opening up. I wouldn't recommend that, actually. I wouldn't recommend, for instance, <laughs> changing your living situation. I also went in imagining that 
truth, if I centered my truth, that that would always be heard in the way that I imagined it would. And that just wasn't accurate. So some of the things that I did also were because it was 15 years ago and we didn't have the books. We didn't have the TikTok accounts to follow, right? If you're interested, if you're curious, you can start getting a grounding just by following some great creators who are starting to really open up their lives and say, hey, this is how it works for us and start getting that inside look. And that is, that is also what I love to present. It's one thing to have tools. It's another thing to have some community around you who is Mm -hmm. in the exploration, who actually actively is saying, I don't know where this is going, or I don't know how to navigate a really clear relationship agreement. But what if everybody in this room is doing that? And what if we learn together through each other's mistakes and successes? What if we learn how to do this really well? So yeah, I wouldn't go back and do anything. The first seven years, total disaster. Whether you stay together or not, engaging in the work is amazing. Yeah, it is so much work. And it is kind of amazing that any relationship actually lasts when you think about (laughs) it. It is. (laughs) You're like, wow. It is a miracle. Like we are surrounded by miraculous I have seven kids and managed to get a PhD while I raised them and homeschooled them. So miracles really do happen. Anything is possible. (laughs) Anything. So let's talk about the PhDs because you could have, you didn't have to get it. So what propelled you, especially with seven kids, that's a whole nother podcast, (laughs) but to take this time and really like focus and try to help others, what was in you to, to do that? Yeah, I have found that reading and writing is thinking for me. It really is. Like, that's how I chew on things. And I felt called to a very particular branch of psychology really early on. So I I went back to school, uh, yeah, 14 years ago now and got an undergrad in psychology because I was like, I want to learn about this. I want to learn how people work. And then I kept being called over and over again to Jungian psychology, Carl Jung's Mm -hmm. branch of psychology. And What happened for me was I started seeing how the unconscious plays such a profound role in our relationships. And as I followed that thread, I realized that a lot of Jungian psychologists, people who do walk all the way down that wild analytic path, they don't talk about relationships a ton. They talk about the inner world and the the individual. So I found myself in a weird position of saying, I think I'm looking at this from a relatively unique position. What happens if I just keep following that thread? And as I followed it, it became really obvious that I needed to go be the weirdo talking about sex and non-monogamy in a Jungian and archetypal psychology PhD program, which did freak out a lot of my core faculty at the time. They were like, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) For me, studying this deeply Um, also opened up a new way to look at it. Because most of the people I know who were working on non-monogamy, they came from a personal place. And that's great. Get yourself a specialist who has lived the life. That will Mm -hmm. make a difference. And they also didn't necessarily get a chance to study deeply. I was in a position to do both. So I did it. Listen, you are breaking the paradigms because most fields of study have their own little, their zones that you have to stay in, right? And psychology is, everyone's like, well, are you a Freudian? You're Jungian? Which one are you? Can't do both. Right. You got to stay down your one path, just like monogamy. So thank you for 
busting out of those boxes around even psychology. So I could ask you maybe a hundred more questions, but I know Kelly has some questions and Jolie's already just such a badass and she should uh, like be a co-host with us, I think. <gasps> a non-monogamous podcast. A non-monogamous podcast. It's so real. Hosting. <laughs> Yeah. What? Dabbling. Just dab. Just just dabbling. Hello. I mean. And she won't send us a dick pic. So right there, <laughs> we might have talked about dick pics anyway. Kelly's like, oh my God, stop talking, Carrie. I'm putting myself on mute. That's there you go, Kel. Go ahead. We have already talked about the fact that our favorite dick pic is the one we don't get. The dick pic that we just allow we allow ourselves to imagine if we choose. Exactly. Exactly. Jolie, one of the things that I've really enjoyed hearing you talk about is the process begins with understanding the self. And one of the things that we really enjoy is that self-awareness building that we get from doing assessments and just learning about ourselves in the process. And so when I was preparing for our podcast today, I was looking at your website and, and all the great research you've done. And one of the things that stood out to me is individuation is the process of becoming completely yourself. And I, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that and what that means for you. Yeah. So I, as someone who trained in a Jungian framework, right, I was offered this idea of individuation, Jung's version of individuation. And the simplest way I can think of to put it is individuation is becoming more and more yourself over time. And I hear a lot of people who want that. So people who show up in my world all the time are saying, I just want to know myself better. They, they want that. And I have always been compelled by self-awareness. Like I was the eighth grader reading the whole psychology section of my adult library. I was that weirdo. <laughs> and so for me, following that thread of me to knowing more me meant that, honestly, I think it was inevitable that I would pursue a PhD, that I would pursue non-monogamy. I think that it was inevitable that I would question relationship structures. For other people, the individuation process is going to look entirely different. It has to. That's the core of it. And the thing that I love about working with this in a relational context is we're hearing more and more about the concept of differentiation, right? Differentiation in our relationships. In other words, I need to be able to tell the difference between myself and my partner or partners. So that's differentiation. And for me, differentiation is the trailhead from which we can really begin our deeper individuation work. So a lot of people assume that they have individuated when they leave their family of origin, when they set off on their own to go to college or on their first career, whatever that is. Jung would say individuation really starts at midlife. You know, you're up till then, you're building the ego strength to do the thing that is yours to do. So part of that is differentiating from my partners, understanding that they get to be other and foreign and strange to me, and that I get to become more myself because of that. And that self-awareness isn't, it, it's not some game to be won. There's no such thing as being individuated as in finished. You might say like, oh, I've individuated a lot. Cool, but you're not done. So that's why I love that. It's why I, I base my relational work on the idea that we're constantly becoming more ourselves. Mm -hmm. No, that's such a beautiful explanation. And it's something that we're constantly growing every single day. And so it takes a lot of not only awareness, but assertiveness to be able to stand in your truth and say, this is what I want for myself. This is what I need for myself. I'm on my seventh cohort going through this, this process. And the people who have graduated, it's so interesting to hear them almost universally reflect back 
I didn't know that this was a journey for me. I really thought this was about us if they came in as a couple or, oh my God, I need to do it all again. I'm like, great. That's why you learned. You you were presented a whole host of tools. Some of them were super relevant for you 10 months ago. Some of them will be relevant for you 10 months from now. Now you have these tools and they were presented to you in a framework of stories and community. You know, a really common thing to like melt down about is the intersection of money and dating. We, like if we're in a couple and I'm going to date other people, we better deal with where the money for dating comes from, right? So you can imagine sitting in a group of 15 people who are figuring that out and having real conversations. It is amazing. So yeah, that year gives us time to learn and trust and be like, oh, I totally screwed it up. Uh, I thought I wasn't trying to be controlling, but it turns out I was actually controlling my partner by controlling our finances. Oh, okay. Calling myself in. Let's do this differently. Yeah. Mm. A year is the start and it gives us this firm foundation, but it also creates friendships amongst people who would otherwise never have the opportunity to see the inside of someone else's relational existence. And that I think is something our culture can surely, surely benefit from. Absolutely. It's fascinating just all the learnings that she's gone through and how she approached it and how for seven years, seven years is a long time. She's done a lot of work in what she's put together in this year of opening. I feel like I need that almost because <laughs> I don't even know that I would know what I, I want out of yeah. a relationship, you know? So yeah. it'd be really, I'd be curious. Yeah. I'm looking forward to Kelly taking the year of opening. The year of opening. Year of Kelly opening. Gunther, the year of opening, especially as a single person. I loved what she yeah. said about being single because we talk about that. Like you don't have to be paired up. Like stop it. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to be, it's not, this isn't Noah's Ark. Because I know, especially with women, they're like, oh, you're not married. Oh, are you looking? Are you in a relationship? Like it's such bullshit all the time. And so I love that she talked about you are single and that's what you choose. And you can have the relationship with yourself Mm -hmm. and then go do whatever you need to do, but define it. And I just love that. Mm -hmm. I look forward to your report, Kelly, after your year of opening, by the way. (laughs) So do I. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it's, I mean, it, like anything else is, you know, the journey of learning more about yourself yes. and, and finding out unique things that you maybe didn't realize or that were always there, but it's, it provides a new language. I mean, I think that's yeah. the ultimate thing is the language that you can use to be more um, in your truth about who you are and what you're looking for and what you're not looking for too. If you could go back and give yourself advice during the time when you were questioning traditional relationships and traditional relationship norms, what would that advice be, Jolie? I would go back and I would tell that naive 32-year-old version of me to prepare more carefully and to take her time in understanding what the options even are and to make more friends not lovers, but to make more friends who are also questioning this and not try to date those people, right? So everywhere I look, I see resonance of this. Like we're trying to get advice about our relationships from the people who are actively trying to bang us. I I don't, I, get yourself a wider <laughs> circle, girl. That's what I would go back and tell her. <laughs> 
<laughs> I love that. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. There's just a humility about you, Jolie. I think that's so incredibly powerful and palpable. Mm. So I feel that from you so much. And I, I'm just so grateful to you for sharing that with Thank us. Thank you. Hey, when you've been a hot mess, mm -hmm. why not turn it into something interesting, right? Listen, <laughs> you know, you could be a hot mess and decide that you want to just keep that to yourself and live your life and do your thing. But you have made it a mission to help others find how they can live their best life and bust out of an expectation that they have to be a certain version of themselves that isn't themselves yeah. at all. Jolie, we could talk to you for weeks, years, I think. But our last question you have one minute with someone who's stuck wants to break out. What do you tell them? The first thing I ask them is, can you feel your body right now? Can, like, can you? And I would ask them, I would probably spend a good 30 seconds of that time saying, where do you feel it? Like, where in your body are you feeling this desire to break out? Okay. Once they've identified that, I would say, who in you wants to break out? You, we are all multiple. We are all, we are all thriving, full of different sub-personalities, right? Who in you wants to break out? And once they've offered that tiniest bit of insight, I would say, great, let's, let's make a plan for the next tiny thing that they need in order to explore. Because you are not a monolith. You are not this just one thing. Let's go help all of your bits and bobs explore the way they want to. Oh, Jolie, such a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much for being with us. Your podcast is called Playing With Fire. You mentioned episode 89, which is all the terminology, which I think is going to be really helpful for a lot of people who are interested in knowing all of the different relational um, terms out there. So thank you, Jolie, once again for, for being with us and for sharing your really unique story and for being so vulnerable. Mm, thank you. Thank you so much for asking great questions. You said you'd like to rock the boat. And thank you for doing that for one of the biggest expectations that we have around monogamy and just being out there and talking about it. And so thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. Happy fucking Valentine's Day, people. Enjoy. That was our conversation with monogamy box breaker, Dr. Joe Lee Hamilton. And this is The Breakout from Abracci Group. At Abracci Group, we specialize in coaching and consulting for brave new directions. Connect with us at abracigroup.com. And don't forget to subscribe to The Breakout so you never miss a new episode. And make sure you're following us on Instagram at The Breakout Pod. I'm Kelly Gunther. And I'm Dr. Carrie Ulrich. See you next time.